Hi, I'm Chris Whiteout. Welcome to Living It, the podcast where we join experts in the experience of being human. Be bold. Say yes to adventure. Say yes to living it. Hi, this is Chris Whiteout. Welcome to the very first version of Chris Whiteout Living It, the podcast. My guest is a good buddy of mine, Carlos Molita. Carlos has an absolutely amazing story. Started in Brazil, came to the U.S., joined the Navy, became a SEAL, got shot getting Noriega out of Panama back in 1989, ended up in a wheelchair as a result of it, broke the para world record for the Ironman. So that's 2.4 miles swim, open water, ocean swim, 121 mile bike ride, followed by a marathon. He did the race across America with a four-person team eight days across the country. So they averaged over 400 miles a day. Climbed Mount Kilimanjaro on a hand cycle. He is the guy that I wonder if he feels pain, but he's found a way to make it through that pain, to find pride in himself everything, every single day in the process. So I look forward to talking to Carlos. Please join us with Carlos Melita. So you came to the, to the States. You're from Brazil originally. Came oh, to the yeah. States when you were yeah. 17? Uh, the first time I came to the States, I was 16, actually. I came for a, a skateboard, skateboarding championship. I used to be a pro skateboarder. And then I came to California in 19, I think it was 1979, you know, at the height of the skating board, you know, met at Tony Alva, Stacey Peralta, you know, the, the Dogtown crew. Yeah. So you know, I came when I was 16, you know, I, you know, a little kid, dude, I was, you know, you know, poor and just had that chance. I was a really good at skateboarding. And then I went back home. I spent a whole month in Southern California and just skateboarding in all the parks. I went home and I told my mom, listen, you know, as soon as I turn 18, I got to go back there, you know, and, and live that life. You know, I wanted to live, you know, that life that I saw in the magazines. You know what I mean? Right. And uh, so I got to experience that for a little bit when I came the first time. So when I went home, I said, I got to go back, you know, and really live that. And that's what I did, man. I worked hard for a couple of years. I saved my money. You know, it wasn't much. And I uh, knew a couple of people here. And uh, I came here. I was 18 years old. I had about 350 bucks on my pocket, in my pockets. And uh, it was a huge ad- adventure, Chris, that, you know, that tur- turned out well, actually. You know what I mean? That worked out. You know, Where did you land in the States? Miami, you know, because the goal was I had 300 bucks. Okay, I land in Miami, you know, and I stay with these people. I work a little bit, and then I go to California. Well, and like people years. you knew, or how did you? Know, you- I, yeah, I, see, that's where the story gets all, you know, because I was Mormon. <laughs> You know, I know I was baptized Mormon, so I knew a lot of Americans, you know what I mean? So when I came here, I kind of had some connections, you know, so we stayed with this lady in Miami thinking, okay, I'll just save a little money and then I go to California, right? But it wasn't like that, man. You know, you got to work, you got to pay bills, you know what I mean? And and exist and live. I just start working, you know, I start working and working and working and and I enjoy working way more than I did skateboarding, you know what I mean? Because I was, I was able to be independent. You know, I mean, that's where my independence came, you know, because when I left my house, my mom was the only one that really, you know, like, yes, you can do this. But everybody else was like, no, you know, give him two months to come back with a little tail between his legs and it'll be over. So what were you doing for work? What kind of work were you doing? Well, I mean, good. My first job, the first job I had here was a dishwasher. 
You know I mean, I was making $90 a week. And I loved that job, man. I could scrub some pots like anything else. But here's the kicker. You know, here's the kicker. I was a worker. You know what I mean? So I, within like two, within three years, I went from being the dishwasher, you know, to owning my own place with the owner of the first restaurant. You know what I mean? So it was the journey. When I came here, I said, I'm not going to go back. You know, I am going to succeed no matter what it takes. Owning and your I, own place, well, your own house or your own, your own restaurant? Your own restaurant. You know what I mean? So the guy that I work, started work with for him at a place as the dishwasher, you know, we became friends. You know, I kind of went up the ladder in, in that restaurant. And then three years later, I said, dude, I got to open another one. You know, let's do it. So I ran the whole place, you know, by myself, a few waitresses. It was a small place. It wasn't nothing fancy. It was a pizza place. I used to make pizzas. Again, you know, the reason I came here, it wasn't to, you know, to live this nine to five work, work, work life. You know, it's to have an adventure. You know what I mean? You know, because I was young. I want to go out there and experience the world. So, you know, I, I, I work. And eventually, like, because I was a scuba diver, you know, I love going to the beach. I love the water. I always loved the water, you know. And I used to go to the Keys, you know, scuba diving. So the idea of, you know, you can make money with this. You, know, you can become a deep sea diver, you know, working on those oil rigs and stuff like that, you know, doing construction diver, diving. So when I joined the Navy, so I said, you know, I'll join the Navy. I'll learn how to dive in the Navy and then I'm good to go. You know, very, that's simplistic. You know what I mean? Well, hold on. You're, 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 you're running on the whole story though. So yes. how did you join the Navy? When did, when did that work? Miami. And, and how, how can that work? Are you allowed to join the Navy yes. as, as somebody from Brazil? And yeah, because kind of you know, but you have to be a, uh, a legal resident. Okay? okay. But then the next step is for you to be the SEAL teams. You have to be a citizen. When I joined, you know, I was a, uh, you know, a, a resident, you know, in the Navy is one of the largest employers in the world, you know, because right. people from all over the world, Russians, I mean, everybody's there. So what happened, you know, so, okay, I joined the Navy, no problem, because, you know, I, I was going to be, a, because, you know, it didn't, it didn't, I didn't need, didn't need that kind of clearance to be a diver. But then I found out about the SEALs when I was going through uh, boot camp, Navy boot camp, right? And that's when the lightning rod just red. That's what I want. So that's right at the beginning right at of the your beginning. Navy. Yeah, right. I tried and I failed. I you tried the swim. seals and you failed or you tried? Yeah. Really? I, I, tried, I tried the test and I couldn't swim. That was my problem. You know, I said, I can't do this. No problem. In my mind, I'm like, yeah, you can just jump in the water and go. Right? No, I jumped in the water. Man, within 25 meters, I was drowning. And the guy said, dude, you don't want to swim, man. Get out of the water. <laughs> and, you know, and to be a Navy SEAL, that's kind of a requirement. You know it's sort I mean? of a big deal. It's kind <laughs> it's of a, a big, big part of being a Navy SEAL is being able to swim. So then you went back and learned how to swim? Yeah. So, you know, they sent me to the fleet, you know, the regular fleet. You know, so I like, boom, I learned how to swim. You know, I, and I train, I train, and train. Then six months Well, then later, how'd you learn how to swim? Did they have, like, swim lessons at the fleet? Or, or no, you know, they have, what happened is you go, you're assigned to a ship. Okay, a, you know, a ship that goes in you know, a regular Navy ship. And my ship was in Norfolk, Virginia. Okay, so your ship, most of the time, unless you're in deployment or in exercises, the ship sits right there on the docks. Okay, you stay there, you know, uh, and they have gyms and everything right there on the base. Before my first deployment, you know, I was right there on the base. So I would go to the pool every day or so and, uh, you know, and, and just learn. Every, every chance I had, I would start 
running and, and swimming and swimming. Because teaching yourself or is, yeah, or is somebody yeah, else teaching you? Just, just myself. And I would ask a couple of people, you know, because all I had to do is learn the breaststroke, okay? The breaststroke to be able to, or the side stroke to be able to swim fast enough, you know, to pass the test. So I just kept practicing, practicing, practicing. Right before I deployed for a six-month deployment, I took my test. Okay. And what's the test? What do you have to, what do you have to you do have, to pass? You have to, you have to run at the time. You have to run a mile and six and a half minutes with uh, boots and with pants, you know, and a t-shirt, like, you know, just combat boots, pants and t-shirt. And then uh, you swim, you have to swim. Oh man, I think it was 300 meters under um, like nine and a half minutes or something like that. You know, it wasn't, something really really fast and then you have to do some sit-ups and push-ups that was it let's capture this whole thing for a second yes. so so you came from brazil you joined the navy because yes. you were because you wanted to dive on deep sea deep sea uh, rigs and stuff like that and then you thought after going through basic training that you would become a seal but exactly you didn't know how to swim yes so then you went, you went to the regular Navy and you taught yourself how to swim. Then you took the, took the test. The test again, yes. You know, um, there's one thing, Chris, I want to say about myself that I think had a big play on, you know, the small amount of success I had is that I'm not afraid to fail. You know what I mean? I'll do something and I fail and then like, I don't get a, oh my Lord, I failed. No, I'm like, okay, why did I, why did I fail? You know what I mean? So I started looking at the reasons and I started looking at the whole game plan. Then I said, okay, that's the reason I'm most likely that I fail. So I'll work and I'll do it again. And then I'll do it again until I get it right. And you're willing to work hard. And that's something that's been that's, with you your whole life. I think so. You know, my infancy, my family life wasn't that great. I had an awesome infancy with my friends and everything else. But my family life was pretty bad. My dad was an alcoholic and my mom, you know, my poor mom worked like crazy, you know, just to make ends meet. I learned from, from watching, you know, watching my mom, you know, so by watching her and work, 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 and my dad not doing his part, you know, there was two choices. I could have go his way, you know, or my mom's way, you know, meaning, you know, I can, I can look at her and kind of, you know, look at her for my, you know, inspiration or look at my dad, you know, I mean, I can be an alcoholic and a gambler, you know, and a criminal, or I can be a hardworking woman, you know like my mom, you know, and, uh, and it's been like that since if I try something and if I, you know, if I fail, I'll try it again. Now, I'm not of that. So, so you joined the seals. Yes. And well, well, I mean, you, you made it through that first threshold, right? The first threshold is the test. Yes. Right. So then you join and how big a group is so this? A, that's the second threshold is the, is the big one. When you go through buds, right. You know, it's basic underwater, you know, demolition seal school. That's in Coronado. That's the only place everybody goes. When I was doing it, it was for seven months. You're there for seven months going through buds. The buds, they have three different phases. You know what I mean? About two, two and a half months each phase. Uh, one is the first phase. It's more like a, you know, a phase where they try to get rid of people. They kind of win out the weak links. You know? And then the other two phases, they concentrate more on learning. But it never let up on the... Oh, how hard it really is. You know what I mean? When you walk into Bud's, the big, you know, it's a big compound there uh, at the school, and it's written you know, on, on the wall, you know, the only easy day was yesterday. 
So it means you no, know, every day gets harder. You know what I mean? And it is very progressive. And what do you mean by harder? I mean, this is physically, mentally. Physically, what? mentally, yes. Because every single day, they, you're going to do something that's going to test you. Okay, either you have to do the obstacle course faster than last week, or you have to go to the pool and go to drown proofing. You know, drown proofing is, you know, you get on the edge of, the edge of the pool, they'll tie your hands behind your back, you know, they'll tie your feet together, and you have to jump in the pool. Right, and you jump in the pool on the deep end, you do a somersault, you swim all the way to the other side without touching the ground, you have to flip on the other side, you swim back to the deep end of the pool, and then when you get to the deep end, you float there for a little bit, and then the instructor tells you, go down to the bottom and pick up so-and-so, either a mask or a weight belt or a, a knife, you know, so you have to go down there with your teeth, you have to pick up the stuff with your teeth, dude, it's crazy. And then you come back up and you show, okay, here it is. You know, I got the knife. And you go, okay, you, you pass, all right? So those are the things that you have. To, every day there's something like that that's going to test your, you know, either your, your, your mindset or your, your fitness or just your ability to withstand misery, you know? And most people, most people quit buds because of misery, you know? They don't quit because they can't cut it. Is because they're going to put you in such a state of misery that you're like, dude, I can't handle this. You know, you look at someone that is, I mean, a perfect triathlete body, I would say. You know, the guy is very ripped, you know, very fit. You know, this guy's going to fly through buds. 45 Run minutes, forever, swim. Yeah. Yeah, swim like a fish. 45 minutes into hell week. Hell week is when you, is the fourth week of training. You don't sleep from Sunday to the next Friday. So you're up for the whole week, right? And throughout the week, you're doing different, uh, you know, different evolutions. Either you're running 14 miles, swimming five, but it's nonstop for those six days. You know, nonstop around the clock, you're doing evolutions. So 45 minutes into that, he quit because they had us just laying in the water, cold. Okay, laying in the water, hold your arms and just stay there. Shivering, come out. You come out of the water, shivering. Okay, two guys quit, and everybody goes to, you know, goes to breakfast. You know, three or four guys who quit, and everybody, okay, get back in the water. You guys are not fast enough. So they play with your mind a lot. It's crazy. I had no idea. To be honest with you, I had no idea I had that inside of me. You know what I mean? And that's what I think is valid for everybody. I think everyone has a little bit of that inside of them. They haven't really been pushed, you know, to a state where they have to bring that up, you know what I mean, to be able to do it. I was reading somewhere that, that somebody said that, that the most successful SEALs, the people who are successful, who make it through, who get out without yes. ringing the bell, right? It's the ringing the right. bell. You can ring Everywhere. the bell. Nobody's going to give you a hard time. You go, you ring the bell, but that means that you're done. You're you out. Quit. Yep. You quit. And 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 what I was reading is that somebody said that it's the story that you tell yourself. You said it's the misery. You're going through the misery. Yes. But it's the story of your, that you tell yourself of why you're going through that misery. Right. Why am I doing this? Don't why are you doing this? Do, do you know what, what your story is? What, is the, what are the things that you tell yourself when it's that miserable? I think, I think at the time for me, it was more like pride. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? I, you know, I, wanna, I wanted to have the pride, you know, to say that I was a SEAL. You know what I mean? Because I, when I joined the military, you know, I, wanted to, I didn't want to be just a regular sailor. 
you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but it wasn't for me. You know what I mean? Being, you know, being average is my worst nightmare. You know what I mean? What, what does that mean? Why, why is that your worst nightmare? Because I, because I want to, here's the thing. You're born and then you die, okay? In between, you know, we were given this gift, which is life, okay? And we've been given the ability to enjoy life. People, you know, they're in pursuit of happiness all the time. Oh, I want to be happy. I want to be happy. Sometimes they're happy and they don't know it. You know what I mean? Because they're pursuing this, this you know, thing that's impossible to get, which is happiness. Happiness happens every day. You know what I mean? Like you and I right now talking, having this awesome conversation. I can call this is happiness, dude. You know, I'm talking to you. We're discussing some awesome stuff. This is a good moment, you know. So we're giving this, you know, this life. And it's going to end sometime, Chris. You know what I mean? So we got to suck everything out of it. You know what I mean? Today. Because you never know what's going to happen tomorrow or day after. You know, look at, at us. You know, one day we're walking, next day we're not. So Exactly. Can I ask a little bit more about this sense of pride? The pride of being a SEAL is the thing that kept you going. Yes. Is it that pride of the of getting there or is it the pride of conducting yourself as a seal every single day that's it you know that's one thing that you know we tell ourselves in the suit teams that we you wear your budweiser your trident you know the the big emblem you wear that every day you know i mean i wanted to have the pride to say that i belong to this group you know i mean that are and Very you don't deep. get that until the end, though, right? You don't get no, that. No, no, it, it, no. Even after you finish buds, my class had 100. Uh, okay, we started with 250 people, right? The whole class. When we started the class, because some people they couldn't start, when we started the class, there was 120 people, okay? At the end of the class, seven months later, there were only 11 people finished. Wow. You know what I mean? So That's 10%. 10%. Yeah. Right. That's a very small group. And especially after you get to interact with, interact with that group. Because in the beginning, it was more like, wow, this is amazing. You know what I mean? I want to do this. And then the, more, the deeper you get into it, we start to connect with people that you, you, know, you actually belong to that group. It's an amazing environment, Chris. I mean, if I walk today and I was younger, I will go back tomorrow. In a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. Okay because of the connection that you have with the other members or because it stresses you every day? What's the, what would make you go back? I think it's because of the quality of the people that you work with. You know, I mean, you know, I don't have to tell you this, you know, for someone to be, you know, successful, you have to surround yourself with good people. You know what I mean? The people that's going to bring positive things to your life. Okay. And when you are in that environment where everybody around you are given 110%, you know, you don't get that everywhere. You know what I mean? Especially after I've spent, you know, a few months on the fleet where, you know, the regular Navy fleet, I would say, where they didn't have that interaction. You know, people would just get enough to get through. I'll just do enough to get by and that's it. And when I was in the team, it's like they're doing way more. I mean, every time they ask for a volunteer, I mean, hands just go up, you know what I mean? So um, that was probably it. I mean, the quality of the people that I was surrounded by. I mean, even up to these days, you know, we're still friends forever because 
you know, once we, you become part of that family, you're there forever. I'm going to ask this question now. I probably should yeah. ask it later. But the thing is, did being a Navy SEAL shape yes. who you are more so than having your injury yes. or, or winning, winning at the Ironman? Well, I mean, I, for sure. I mean, the SEAL teams kind of, you know, set everything up for me to be, you know, fairly successful, I think, you know, because of the mindset that I was, that was given, you know I mean? Especially because it was so fresh. It helped me mentally in the beginning. Okay, this is going to be hard, but, you know, there's no other choice. Okay, so we got to move forward. You know what I mean? It's like, what do you do? You got to keep moving forward. I mean, stuff is going to get hard, you know, for everybody, you know, and then this happened, okay, it's not going to change, you know, so let's see how much I can get squeezed out of this thing, you know, and so far I squeeze a lot of juice out of it. It you has. I mean? Oh no, I, I don't <laughs> doubt that at all. And I know full well that you, that you've squeezed a lot of juice out of it. So, so the thing is that's formed who you are moving forward. You also being a seal was, was the greatest thing you've ever done. You I think you, so. Yes, it is. I mean, because it changed who I was, you know, it, it actually physically and mentally changed who I was. You know, you came, you, you were a person, you know, you, you think in your mind, Oh, this is how much I can do. This is the things I think I'm able to handle. You know what I mean? And then you go through something like, wow, I had no idea that people can tie me up and be in the water and no problem. And I can jump out of 15,000 feet on an airplane. You know what I mean? Or be stuck on the water inside of a, of a, you know, a hatch, you know, and not freak out, you know? So those are the things that I discover about myself that of course in the future would help immensely, you know, knowing that things are going to get hard, but regardless how hard they're going to get, you figure out a way to get around them. So you were bulletproof in some ways, but then you actually Man, weren't. I mean, being a, being a seal is, oh, no. it yeah. is what brought you, is what, where you ended up in a wheelchair, right? I mean, right. so you, so can you tell me what happened? How, what happened yeah. to you? What happened to your team? Here's what happened. You know, when, um, when, Pat, so when was I was, I was injured, I was injured in 1989, uh, yeah. Operation Just Cause, which was the invasion of Panama, you know, to capture Manuel Noriega you know, drug charges. And uh, when that happened, when that operation happened, not a whole lot had happened up to that time, other than Grenada, you know, so it was a while back. When I, when I was part of the SEAL teams, we were still, uh, you know, in the Vietnam era kind of mode, you know what I mean? Like jungle warfare, you know, jungle boots, go in the jungle and do things, right? So, um, so when Panama happens, SEAL Team 4, which was uh, my team, our area of operation was the whole South America, Central America and South America. So when that happened and everybody wanted a little bit of the piece of the pie, our command, you know, took one of the jobs, which was to secure Patilia Airport. It's an airport where Manuel Noriega kept his private jet. So they want to make sure that he couldn't take off on that jet. So what do they do? They do the things that SEALs are not trained for, you know, SEALs who work in, in small groups, they go, they do their jobs. The worst thing you want to do is be detected. You know, you don't want to get in a firefight. You want to go do your job, get out. Nobody knows you're there. Okay. So they do the completely opposite. They put up 50 SEALs to walk up a runway, you know, to go disable a plane. You know what I mean? So it's like we were 
spread out through the airport, walking up the runway, no place to hide. We were not in, in war with Panama. We were not at war with Panama. You know, we we're just there to capture that guy. So we could just get there, start shooting, destroying things. Before we went to war, we actually went to a room and talked to a lawyer. And the lawyer tells you, if you do this, if you do that, you're going to go to jail. So you go to war already with one hand tied behind your back. Right. So long story short is we get to the end of the runway. I was with that front group that was supposed to disable the plane. My group was facing the jet, right? And there was a whole bunch of um, security guards there, highly trained security guards. And there, my group and the security guards are discussing, hey, you get out of here. No, you're not supposed to be here. They're talking. My job was supposed to guard the entrance of the airport. I had three rockets with me, three big rockets, like a law. You know, those big rockets, like a bazooka, okay? I had three of those. Two were in my back. I had, I had a rack, like, like a rucksack. So I had three rockets, all right? I removed the one from the middle, okay? And I was carrying it with me. And I had my gun on the other hand because that was my job. If an armored car comes up, shoot the rocket, right? So I was ready with that thing. So I removed that center rocket. So when um, the firefight started, I was facing towards the entrance. As I got up to go towards the line, that's when I was shot. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So the bullet went right through that middle when I removed that rocket. It went right there and there was a strip of metal coming down and the bullet hit that piece of metal. Went through the metal and then kind of blew up and into my spinal cord. So right away, I was paralyzed. It was crazy. Like someone just hit me, like a real hard punch in the back. I fell down, my legs were completely numb. I'm like, And you're oh, conscious well, the whole time? I'm conscious, man. It's very, very surreal because it's at night, you know? And um, are you familiar with tracer rounds? You know, like- I've seen so rounds, on movies and yeah, stuff, yes. Yeah, every yeah. so many rounds, there's like a tracer, you know, that has some- uh, some light and phosphorescent yeah, kind of phosphorus, thing. Yeah. Yes. So you can see where your rounds are going. So at night, you know, they're shooting at us, you know, shooting at them. So all this lightning coming by you, and they're coming by my face, you know, bullets were hitting my body, you know, but like, because I, I had a lot of metal, you know, I had like magazines. I can feel the bullet hitting. And then I got shot again in my leg, you know, my leg kind of just blew up. And um, so, and one, one of my friends, one of my teammates pulled me to safety. They handled the fire. Four of my teammates were killed. One guy on the left, one guy on the right. They were both killed, you know? But at the same time, now, if you, in retrospective, I, I was very lucky, Chris. You know, I got sure. to come back. I got to come back to my family, you know? And I, and I was able to live an amazing life. You know what I mean? There were people there. There were one guy that died who was 19 years old. Brand new Navy SEAL. He wasn't even a SEAL yet. You know, he got his trident, you know, the thing on the plane in Panama. There was another guy there, Chief McFall. He had a baby girl that morning. You know what I mean? Her name is Sunrise. On that day, my life changed. And then I found myself in a hospital bed, you know, pulling my thumb. Okay, what am I going to do now? You know what I mean? Because the doctors are coming in, you know, they're telling me, hey, can you move your toes? You know, can you feel this? Can you move your leg? Come on, move your leg. I'm like, come on, doc, it's not working. You know, come here, do your thing, you know, do your surgery. I got to go back to work. 
You know what I mean? This is your mindset still. My I have mind. to go back to, I'm go still to a wound. seal. Patch yes. me up, send me back. Yeah, this is just a wound. You know what I mean? Okay, I'll fix it up and I'll you know, do a little rehab. I'll be back in the, in the game. You know what I mean? It wasn't until one night I was in at ICU, you know, this nurse came in, in the middle of the night and she kind of, you know, she leaned over and talking to me and she said, you know, I work with a group of paraplegics and they play basketball. That's when they hit, dude, I am in this thing for the long haul. This is permanent. This is permanent. You know, I already had, he said, I already labeled there for me, paraplegic. I didn't know what that is. That was, you know what I mean? Right. So it's like, wow, this is for real. And that's when it sunk in, you know, that I, yeah, you, you, you are a handicap. You know, you, you're paralyzed and what kind of life are you going to have? So you sit there with all these nightmare things going through your head because you just don't know. You know, what kind of image I had back then? Born on the 4th of July. Remember that movie? You know, the Tom guy Cruise, who did sure. yeah. Cruise, you know, that misery. That's how I'm thinking in my head, wow, what kind of life am I going to have? You know, but... One day, you know, four of my SEAL team friends from my platoon, they came to visit me. I was at Bethesda Naval Hospital. And one of the guys, A.J. Davis, you know, he had one of those tridents, you know, those gold tridents, the Budweiser, you know. He, uh, before they left, one of the guys had to go off because, he, you know, he was nauseous, man, just by looking at me because I had all kinds of stuff on it. So he gave me the trident, he put, and he leaned on my, on my ear and he said, you know, Carlos, you know, you're always going to be a Navy SEAL. You know what I mean? And if you want to get, if you're going to get through this, you're going to have to do this on your own. Nobody's going to hold your hand and take you to the sunset. You're going to have to do this on your own, you know? And that's when I, you know, in my mind, it was like, wow, you know, he is right. You know, I am the same guy, same person, SEAL team guy. I just can't walk. I have to figure out my life in a different way, you know? So it was a big learning experience, just like, you know, for you, probably in the beginning, like just learning everything, trying to soak up as much as I could. So, I, you know, when I was going to get back in life, I was going to be ready. I think a lot of it, you and I shared a, a common experience in some ways in that I think we went into this injury with a problem-solving kind of mentality. Right. For me, it was, it was more coming from the sports side of things. I was a ski racer and... And, but it was a similar kind of deal of pushing yourself every day and knowing what that right. good pain is and knowing hopefully what bad pain is and, and being able to say, okay, I don't want to hurt myself. I want to keep getting better. And you had that when you were first in the hospital where you thought, okay, That's this is right. it. I'm just going to, I'm going to heal up and I'm going to go. But then there's a the mental part of it of, of, oh no, I'm one of those people. Yes. My, Until, all the limit right in front of you. The limitation is right there. You know what I mean? Because it's, it, you can't walk. Well, because it, it, it's a death sentence, right? At, yeah. at some point, it's like, my life is over. That's it. I'm done. And so your yeah. buddy said, you are the same guy. Is that when you came up with the idea or who came up with the idea to push from Miami, push a racing wheelchair from Miami <laughs> that, to Virginia Beach? <laughs> that actually, it was not my idea. It was uh, Russ Walton's idea. My, the guy that I went with, you know, because, because he said, Carlos, the only reason, he said the reason. This is a thousand miles. Yes. You know, because we, we were basketball players. You know what I mean? And here's what happened. Remember um, uh, Jim Martinson? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. See, Jim one Martinson. One of my big heroes. My hero, man. He's the one that kind of taught me how to push the racing chair. You know, because he was in Seattle. You know, that's where I went to rehab at uh, Seattle VA. Uh, Ross Perot, when I was in Bethesda, Ross Perot, uh, 
uh, got me a private plane, private jet to take me from BC to Seattle just for rehab because they told me that the girl there, you know, the woman, the physical therapist there was awesome. And she was the one that changed the whole game because she's the one who introduced me to sport. You Is know, this her Jenny? Was, Is that her name? Jennifer. 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 Yeah. Okay. Jennifer. Jennifer yeah. Okay. Amazing. So she kind of, in a way, she knew my mentality. So she, so she just fed the beast. You know what I mean? So she would make me do more than everybody else, do pull-ups, push-ups. There was a hill there in front of the, the hospital. They called it Carlos Molina Hill. <laughs> she used to, to go up and down, up and down the hill in my chair. Dude. You know, because she knew that's what I, in a way, that's what I needed. You know, like, yes, he wants to go the extra mile. So, so, so from the beginning, I was already in, on that path. You know, she, uh, she brought a racing chair to the hospital. You know, she got me in it and I said, no, try this out. She pushed me around the hallway and I'm like, wow, this is pretty cool. You know, next day she took me to a park with another paraplegic, which eventually kind of became my mentor. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Kind of showed me the ropes. And I got on the racing chair, man. I started pushing like, wow, you know, out in the open. I was going fast. You know what I mean? Hold on, but back up a little bit. You still yeah. had your external fixator on, right? So you, yeah. so your leg got shot. So you had, you had rods yeah. sticking out of your <laughs> leg, effectively creating traction, yes. you know, to, to, to make those bones heal. And you're getting into a racing chair. Yes, and, you know, and that's, that's how she was. I mean, she took me skiing with the fixator on. And then I went to the, my first official race was the veterans wheelchair game. When I checked into the hospital, I had tubes on my, and she said, I'm already signing you up for the weightlifting and for the hundred meter dash on the veterans wheelchair game. So I go, you must be crazy woman. Are you nut? You know, I mean, that, was, can you talk us through the time frame of this? So, so when did you get shot? Uh, December, 1989. Okay. So 22nd, two days before my birth. Okay. 22nd. Okay. 22nd. So I was actually so, the 20th the year before. So really? Yeah. I didn't know that. I thought you got hurt after me. No, you were 88. Me. Yeah. <laughs> so I got in the, So I stayed in, in, a, in Texas for maybe two or three weeks after I got shot. That's when the president came and saw some of the guys there. And then from there, I went to Bethesda Naval Hospital for mm -hmm. maybe, I would say, a month. Okay. And then from there, I went to Seattle and I stayed in Seattle for like seven months. You know, for oh, you my were there rehab. that long? Okay. Yeah, because of the leg, you know, because I had the fixator and my leg was really infected. Okay. Uh, so they had to do hyperbaric treatment and everything. So I had to, I was transferred to a naval base. I had car blunch, anything I needed, you know, that I had a medical officer with me from the SEAL teams accompany me to Seattle and everything to make sure I had all the best care. So they wanted to amputate my leg, the one that was shot. Said, You're not going to need it, they said. So that's what the woman said. No, this they is said, what happens, right? Yeah. People do exactly yeah. that. Yeah, you're not going to need it. Don't worry about yes. it. Like, yeah. yeah, you got to fight for work. yourself. Yeah. So, and the guy said, no, 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 wait a minute here. Let's, let's hold off. So he arranged for me to have a, you know, a hyperbaric treatment. So between the hyperbaric treatment and the antibiotics, long story short, I saved the leg. We removed the pins, no problem. But yeah, the first few races, I had that uh, fixator in there, you know, and uh, there was a good things and also bad things about that, Chris, you know, this, this jumping into this fast lane and kept going. I mean, good things, of course, you know, off the bat, you know, it's information. That's the thing we need the most. Know what's available out there. You know what I mean? Know, you know, that you, yes, you can do sports, you can do all those things, you know. Uh, so those are awesome things. 
And it's imagine the mental side too. Yeah, you're, can bring, you're moving, right? Yes. You're starting to get forward. You're not just lying in a hospital bed watching General Hospital. Right. But here's what happened. You know, okay, sport for us in many ways, you know, now I use it as a tool, you know, to get people back in life. That's what, you know, for example, Challenge Athletes Foundation that I work with. You know, sure. sports, it's a great, you know, it's a great tool that we use to get people active out there, right? But the thing is that when I got into sports, you know, I don't want to just do sports like you. You just don't want to go down the slope. No. You know, you want to be the first one down the slope. You want to be the fastest one down the slope. You know what I mean? It's the mentality. So I got into wheelchair sports. Okay, I'm going to do this to the bone. You know, I'm going to be, try to be as, as good as I can on this thing. So... As well, it's the same got, pride, isn't it? It's the same pride yeah, that you had of being thing. a SEAL, right? That you're, you're showing up and you're putting in your work to make it right. happen. Yeah, because it takes that, you know. And, I mean, it's, you know, to, to perform over and over and over, you need, you know, dedication. You need to train. You need to, you know, to, you know, to feed the beast. You know what I mean? But let's, can, can we back up just a yes. little? Because I want to know about this 1,000-mile this push from Miami to uh, – to Virginia Beach. Virginia, yeah. That's what a happened? long way. How, yes. how many days? How, how many miles? What did you do? How did it, you approach this? It, it took us, uh, I think it took us 23 days, you know, because it was racing wheelchairs. And, uh, and it was me and Russ and another gentleman on a bike. Okay. And, and you uh, had support or not? Yeah, no, very little support. It had, you know, it was a, a van. You know, I got okay. someone would meet us at, at, at a certain, certain point. The guy with the bicycle would stay with us. You know, we just had a map. You know, just look at the map. Are we going to do this much? And just follow the map. You know, and what kind of roads were you coast, on? Just on the coast, small roads. You know, A1A is a straight road that goes up the coast. Yep. You know, uh, so it's, it's, it was a pretty awesome push. Actually, I attached a 30-pound dumbbell to my chair because I was going to do the Midnight Sun. Remember the Midnight Sun race yeah. in Alaska? Anchorage, G-Mart, Fairbanks to Alaska. Yeah. 400 miles. Gene Martin had... Enter me into that race. He said, Carlos, you're going to do this race. I said, dude, I, you know, I live in Virginia Beach. I can't, you know, over there is like this, just hills. Right. So when the guy approached me about the ride, the thousand miles, I said, this is perfect. I can do the thousand mile ride. You know, I can use it as training for Alaska. But since Florida is kind of flat, I'll just attach a 30 pound dumbbell to my chair. They'll kind of mimic the, mimic the, the <laughs> look at the mentality. Look at the mentality. That'll mimic the, the hills. So I'm I need to make it every, harder. Yeah. I'm pushing every day with a 30 pound dumbbell attached to my chair. Okay. Worked so out. you got strong quickly. Very quickly. You know what I mean? And then, uh, you know, came, went up to Alaska to do the race. And uh, it was an amazing, amazing. So you did Midnight race. Sun as well? Yeah. I've done that four times. Okay. Yes. You know, the first time I was in a racing chair. And uh, that's when it was the original race from Fairbanks right. to Anchorage, 400 miles, 395 or something like that. And uh, this is, this is super hilly. This is rain, cold, cold, grizzly bears. Every day. It's miserable. You get up in the morning because you got to get up early and get on the road early because of traffic. So you get up in the morning, it's drizzling. It's 38 degrees. I'm like, this is miserable. You know what I mean? It's it, things like that. I love it, you know, because I know everybody's miserable, so I can stand misery. I'm not a problem. So I think this is, so like you that. had an advantage. Yeah. The more miserable right. it is, the more of an advantage you have. Yes. If it's a suffer fast, I can do it. You know what I mean? That's why most of the things that I do, Ironman, Kilimanjaro, race across America, those are things that are 
this is going to push you, you know, mentally, physically, like, okay, can you keep going? You know, so that's, what's that like that me. when you get to the breaking point? Like, do you get to that breaking point in those or do you see that breaking point? How do you look at the potential breaking point of the place where, where a lot close. of people will break? I mean, you get very close, you know what I mean? And uh, sometimes it breaks. Sure. I mean, sometimes, you, you know, I remember coming home and having to, you know, I couldn't even get out of my bike. My, my wife had to kind of, you know, hold a garden hose with water, you know, for a half hour because it's completely dehydrated. You know what I mean? And you just push yourself, push yourself until literally until you break. You but is that, is that your goal? No. Is that your goal to get to that breaking point? No, is I that just, something that's intoxicating for you or? It's, it's, yes. You know, you, you want to push yourself and see how, you know, how much you can discover about yourself, you know, because it's an unknown all the time. It's, it's unknown. Can I, can I push the next? And I learned in the seals that you can, you know what I mean? That's the thing. So every time that I do something, you know, I want to do it, you know, a little harder, you know what I mean? So that's how it is. And you can always go harder than you think more. you can. You it's can you always you can. do more. Right. You know what I mean? And uh, so when I was trained, especially back in the beginning where I didn't know much, I had no idea. The only, the only reference I had was back in SEAL training. That's the only really real athletic stuff I had. It was, you know, just do it until you pass out. You know, we used to go and do thousands of push-ups. The whole workout was pull-ups. You know, pull-ups, pull-up for an hour. You know what I mean? So that's, they changed. They changed, of course. Now it's different. It's completely different. Just like, uh, you know, sports. Like in the beginning, you know, like seals, it was all about, you know, how hard can we make this? Okay, let's do a thousand push-ups, you know, with, with uh, diving tanks in your back. You know, they, now it's more like, okay, they redesigned the whole stuff for them to, so people don't get injured because you're losing a lot of people because they were injured. They were injured. So in the beginning, there was, was a lot of that, you know what I mean? So it took me a long time until, you know, an experience, until I learned how to train. You know, learn how to not get injured, you know, and got more into coaching and start picking minds and, you know, how, survived. How, so, so you did this push and then were you living in Virginia Beach? Right. And we're living in Virginia Beach. And then, uh, uh, and is that where you met Sarah, your wife? Yes. Yes. We went, uh, we're both going to college. You know I mean? We met at a, at a community college there and, uh, it was amazing. You know, we, you know, she never, never saw the chair. It was amazing. You know, for me, because I was in the beginning, you know what I mean? I'm like, you know, I had, I didn't have that confidence, self-confidence, you know, towards a woman, for example, because, you know, I had no idea how they would see me in this thing. And she never saw it. You know, it was, for me, it was a fairy tale. We met and then we decided, okay, I wanted to get out of Virginia Beach because I needed a change. You know what I mean? All, all my suit team guys were there, you know, so it wasn't that great. So we moved to Arizona, you know, so I can train. And uh, we can live a life there. And then Spencer was born. We moved back to the East Coast because my family was here and her was here as well. Much easier that way. So you got into competition early on. But then when did you, I mean, so, so one thing just led to another. Did you, then, did you set a goal? Did you, did you set like a Paralympic goal? Did you no, set? No, it, was, it wasn't. You know, I didn't even know anything about Paralympics in the beginning. And I mean, you know, I just wanted to do things, you know what I mean? And, and because... Uh, I was a veteran, you know, there was a lot of opportunities for me to do things, you know, so I was in the beginning, it was like discovering, you know, that I really enjoy wheelchair racing, you know, and that's where I met you, I think. 
right? Uh, 92 in Salt Lake uh, at the right. Nationals in Salt Lake. I remember that. When, we, when I met you in Salt Lake City, I was with Sarah, and we right. were driving around the country looking for a place to live. Oh, so, that's right. I remember that now. Yeah, right. that was part of our trip. You know what I mean, so we went to uh, Haleyville where uh, Doug Kennedy, right. uh, remember that he used to live. We did a race there with Craig and everything and uh, did nationals in Salt Lake. And then we went to Ari- from Salt Lake, we went down to Arizona. And that's where we figured out, wow, I love this place. So we went back home and moved to Arizona. And that so, nationals, that for me was an exciting thing because that nationals in Salt Lake in 92 was also the trials for Barcelona. Spain, I remember Cisco Jeter, Craig, all the big guys were there, yes, Hollenbeck yeah. and, uh, and, and James and all those guys were, were there. And it was, uh, it, it was amazing because we were racing on the track and it was, I'd gone to probably like you, you'd probably gone to more veterans kinds of things. I'd gone yeah, to more regional was, kind of things where you have a couple of people who are the good. City guys. The city oh, yeah. guys that you read about, you know what I mean? Like, oh man, I read about that guy. He's so fast. And then, you know, Craig Blanchett was there or, you know, or uh, Jim Knob or something like that. You Knob and Rafi you know, and Rafael Barra, you know, like, oh man, look at those guys. He had that suit. Rafi, remember that suit? Oh yeah. Same as Craig with the, with the, with Craig, the full yeah. Nike suit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it was, it was cool. And looking at that, all the racing in the pack and everything where it's coming down to the last hundred meters and it's just, it's, it was really exciting. Everybody's so close. Yeah. And, and that's why I fell in love so with wheelchair racing. You know, that's where I fell in love with wheelchair racing. When I went to that veterans game the first time, I saw Jim Martinson racing and Laverne Ackenbach, I think. Mm-hmm. And those guys working together, going around the track, it was beautiful, man. You know, like, wow, that, that stuff, you know, I would like to do. You know, so I just start training. Because it was like cycling in a lot of ways. It was the gear. It was, you were back in, I think in 92, you were running those, like those triathlon wheels where you covered your, oh, covered yeah. your, your spoke Mylar. wheels with Mylar. Remember that? Yeah. yeah. Craig started that stuff with J-Disc. Yeah. Remember those that? Were, yeah. So you get the technical it, stuff, which is really cool. And then you got into it more, right? Into, into the racing more? Right. A little bit more. You know I mean, then we moved to Arizona. And then I, I thought about... Uh, the Ironman. You know what I oh, mean? you thought about it then? Early, yeah. In like in '96, I found out about it. Yeah, because I went the first time. I went to try for the first time in '97. So I found out about Ironman in '96, and I was just reading a magazine. There was a guy trying to do it, and he couldn't make the time. John Franks was his name. Right. So I look at it. You know, I was a little bit familiar with Ironman, and I saw this guy trying to do that. Like, and I look, I thought, I can do that. You know. So I, uh, I started looking into it and I found, I found a bike and I started training like a freedom rider. You know what I mean? I started training a little bit, learning how to swim because I have to relearn how to swim all over again, trying to learn how to swim with your legs, you know what I mean? Paralyzed. Right. So I had to develop the whole thing. So in 1997, I went to Panama City to try for the first time to go to Hawaii Ironman. So to go to Kona, race, to go to the big to to one. Right. Yeah. yeah. So morning of the race, I wake up and I had a kidney stone. Oh no. Yes. I wind up in a hospital. You know, I'm like this, you know, it's hurting. And my wife, what are you doing? Like, I don't know. There's a lot of pain here. I'm trying to decide if I'm going to race or not. 
and you kind yeah. of feel the pain, but you kind yeah. of don't feel the pain. So, so like then you, what is this? Yeah. Weird stuff's happening with your body. Like, are your, your legs it's, are it's spasming, spasming, you're sweating and mm -hmm. okay. And nause, nauseous, really nauseous. Like within an hour, man, I was throwing up and on the way to hospital. I was in the hospital for three days because of that. And uh, so my gear, everything's at the, at, at the finish line. The whole day, the race was over. Everybody left my bike and my chair laying down right there at the parking lot of the race. It's crazy. So I wasn't able to go in 97. And that's when the first person was able to finish the Ironman uh, in a wheelchair, you know, within the time limit, which was... Right. Uh, so it's each, each, like you have to swim within a certain amount of time, bike within a certain amount of time, and run within right. a certain amount of time? Yes. Yeah, you have to swim. You have to, I think you have two and a half hours to swim. And then when you live, when you... And tell people what, what, what are the distances? The swim is 2.4, 2.4 miles, open ocean swim, you know, in Kona. You come back in and you jump in your hand cycle right. and you do 112 miles, you know, kind of flat and hilly, a lot of wind, you know, you come back and then you jump. I mean, in a lot of wind, like you're going like four oh, miles wow. an hour at some point, uh, you're right? You're going three miles an hour, you're going three miles an hour uphill towards Javi and you, and you still have seven miles to go and you go in three miles an hour. You know, it is still seven, you have seven miles. miles to go of the 121 that you 112. have to do. 112. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And you're going three miles an hour. You know, of course, once you turn around, tailwind, you can fly. But that plays with your mind. I remember going up that thing and able-bodied guys just say, I'm done with this. Throw their bikes in the pit and start walking because frustration. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't able to go in 97. The guy went in 97, finish uh, Joe McLean from Australia. Mm -hmm. And then... Uh, in 98, I went back. But what happened was 1998, it was the same time that David Bailey, David Bailey was a, a world champion motocross racer. Right. I mean, amazing athlete. He was injured in a motorcycle accident. A little professor, it, right? Is that what he was? A little, is that his nickname? Bailey? Yeah. Uh, smooth. Yeah, he was really good. He was, he was he the was, hero of a lot of people he, in that oh, sport. Still, yeah. Still, yeah, yeah. So, he was also already working on that. I had no idea who even who he was even, you know, and I seen him. Uh, so I show up in, in Lubbock and there is David Bailey, you know what I mean? But all the attention was on him. You know, he was the big name. He was famous already. So everybody you know, thought, okay, David Bailey's going to come and kill everybody. You know, so during the, the qualifier, of course, he won. You know, I came in second place and there was another guy that came in third place. Um, so all three of us got to go to Hawaii. Right. So we got to Kona in 1998 uh, and uh, I'm the little guy. David is the, you know, the media guy. Everybody's on top of him. And uh, long story short, I win the race. I had an amazing race. I win the first one, you know. And, and, and was this a battle? Were you battling right at the end, the two of you? It, it, it became. It be, no, no, that one was completely done. Yeah, you know, I dropped him from the beginning. And, and, oh, you did. And so you were on your own the whole time. Yeah, on my one. own the whole time, yeah. Second. And how much okay. did you win by? Do you know? Probably for oh, almost two hours. Oh, okay. So it's, it's yeah. Wow. I broke the record that year by an hour. You know? So the world record, you broke it by an hour. By an hour, yeah. The one that was set in '97, I came back and, and for an hour, and the next next year by another half hour, and then for by 15 minutes another one. So it kind of went down, you know. But we're still discovering. We're trying to work with gear, learn how to train, you know. So you can see that the progression, the times get faster and everything. Um, so. It became a battle because in 1998, 1999, and 2000, 
what happened was it was a big transition in triathlon regarding people with disabilities because David and I, when we show up in Kona, people are looking at us as two athletes, you know, that want to go out there and duke it out. It wasn't you guys in a chair trying to show the world they can do Ironman. They were looking at us that we're doing battle on the lava field. You know, they're comparing us with Dave Scott and uh, Mark Allen. You know what I mean? So uh, it's awesome. And, How cool is yeah, that? Right. And because, yes. And because of the Ironman is not, you know, an event that is specific to, you know, disabled specific, like the Paralympics or, you know, the national wheelchair games or so, you know, it's for the whole, it's for the masses. So well, it's that, also about who can, who can suffer the most, right? I mean, that's, that's yeah, a big I mean, part a, of, it's, it's a long race. Yes. Yeah. Of, of Ironman in general. So it's no different for you than it is for any no, of the, uh, the no, any of the able-bodied no. people, especially, other than they might have bigger muscle groups that they can enlist like on the bike than you can they have but. more money really sponsored because, you know, we, that's the thing, you know, we, we're training at the same level, you know, we're spending the same amount of time training, the same amount of effort as the pros. You know what I mean? So there's no, and, and when we got there, they saw that, you know, it wasn't, they were not looking at us because we're two guys in chair because we're, you know, we're two guys in chairs going at each other like two athletes should. And, and so that, you know, it kind of changed the perception at least within that environment, the triathlon environment. You know what I mean? So it brought amazing, you know, uh, uh, positive things to the sport, you know? So that was the beginning of really of triathlon. You know, that's why they, um, because I stay with it, you know, and I help uh, USA Triathlon develop and help the rules and everything. So eventually they induct me to the Hall of Fame for USA Triathlon. Right. You hit on a cool thing too, like the idea of that community. I think that, you know, you saw it in the hospital where, yes. where that nurse told you, well, you can play wheelchair basketball. And you're like, hold on a second here. Are you telling me that this is, that this is for real? Like this is, this is for the rest of my life. And now I'm with the born on the 4th of July guy. And, and this is, this is who I'm going to be. But then you, you join a group where you realize the journey is the same, right? The training, competing, walking or not stuff. Yeah. Eating what you have to eat, how you have to suffer ice baths, all this stuff. And that's where the bond comes from. Right. I think so. The camaraderie. And I mean, like, you know, you know, that you find that group of people that you just connect, you know, and it's sports a great, you know, gateway to that. You know, you just found those people and those people kind of stick with you, you know, for a long time. You know, and you go through this journey that like you and I, I've seen you for, I'm over 20 years probably, you know, and I see you going from, you know, a young kid, a young guy, you know, to now you're married, you know what I mean? I mean, it's amazing the things that you accomplish, you know, and I look at that like, man, I know that guy. It's awesome. You know? Well, that, and, 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 and I feed I from that. I feed from that. It is. And, and the sport part of it for you and me was really where we found our group where, you know, you leave the hospital and, and you find yeah. your group, you find the Jim Martinsons of the world and, and you go, oh, wow, like that's possible. Like I watched Jim yes. Martinson make a, make a ski turn. It was my first year of skiing. I'd gone to nationals. I got off the chairlift with him and I went, oh, wow. like you can actually do this. Like you can be good because I wasn't good at all. Yeah. That's what you realized. Everything's going to be amazing. You know, it, it can is. be amazing. Everything can be amazing. You know what I mean? And, and for you, triathlon was kind of a godsend in some, or kind of a it gift was, in was. some ways, because in 96, you and I were both going to, to try to make the Paralympic team. 
I remember that. Yep. For Athens. Yes. Yep. And, and, and you and I are in different classes. So, so I, I'm one class lower than you. Yeah. And, uh, you, you, were, you were up there with, with all the tough guys and, and just barely missed out, but then found, in some ways, found yeah. your calling with triathlon. Yes, I found the call. You know, it was it was you know it was a sport that was open. You know, there was something that wasn't it wasn't a sport yet because you know this thirty years ago. You know, when I was injured and trying to figure things out, they didn't have, they didn't even have hand cycles or competitive hand cycles yet. Right, that was just starting hand cycles. Yeah, yeah, the hand, the hand cycles that I used to do Ironman, for example, the first four times, five times, were are now recreational. Hand cycles, hand cycles that little the people used to go to the store. Because that's it's like the, a beach cruiser kind of. Yeah, thing, like that's analogy. the only thing they yeah. had back then. You know, we would modify a little bit to try to make it you know lighter or change the wheels a little bit. But in, the, in all essence, it was just a recreational bike in the beginning. Now you look at what they have now. You know, the carbon bikes and everything. So describe so, how how you are in your bike uh, now, your hand cycle. I mean, if you, if you can picture someone going down a luge course, you know, a luge racer, you know what I mean? Pretty much right. you lay down almost flat. Your head is tip up a little higher, you know, because so your you eyes have, yeah. so it has to be right above the bottom bracket, which is right in front of you. There's, you know, the pedals right there. So your eyes are going to be a little bit above that. You know, they come in with, the, you know, when you race UCI you know, uh, races, they'll measure all that. Okay. So you lay down pretty flat, very, very aerodynamic. So, it's almost like a bench press kind of thing. Um, it's more like a rowing. Like, know, well, there's, there's the pull. Like a lay and down row. Yeah. Right, pull. exactly. Yeah. 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 So it's um, kind of like a, 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 yeah, like a row and then a bench a press bench. on the other side. Yeah. Right. A decline bench and, right. uh, and a row. You know what I mean? And, uh, but, you know, we try to make it as round as possible. You know what I mean? Sure. Uh, the circle. Uh, but, I mean, the bikes now are very expensive. You know, 15000 and up, you know, for a competitive bike. You know what I mean? So it's, uh, that's where we are. And, and, and it's going to get better. It's going to get, people are going to get faster because they're learning more and more about training, about nutrition, about coaching. So the sports, just like anything else. Just keeps what, what are good speeds for, for people? For, like, like if, you're going, if you're going, you know, 20 miles, 30 miles or something like that, how, how long is that going I mean, to take you? Okay, by speed, for example. Okay, let's say we're talking about a course where it's fairly flat, okay? some rolling hills for you to make the national team, you have to average, you have to average at a minimum 24 miles an hour. You know what I mean? 24 average, miles an hour, which is yeah, fast. 12 K 15 K time trial. Okay. Or even a 20 K time trial. I mean, that's for you. That's for you to put your foot on the door. You know what I mean? Right. 25, you know, 24 miles. Cause the guys are, you know, they're doing marathons now in 58 minutes. You know, with the hand cycles. I mean, they're averaging 26, 27 miles an hour. I made the national team for hand cycling, you know, just for the experience of it, you know, and I got to go to a couple of World Cups in Europe. You'd be amazed, you know, I'm, I'm how, to see how the people race there. You know, the, the, uh, the intensity, you know what I mean? When they're racing the big pack, we've got 50 guys, and they're going, Chris, 30 plus. You really? Know? El I mean, elbowing, yelling different languages, you know, and they're aggressive, you know, bumpy. It was amazing. It was an incredible experience. So these guys are, you know, they are professionals at what they do. You know, I mean, they just like anybody else out there, they're getting the big bucks. 
Now I see you and I've seen you, I've seen you a fair amount in, in, at times I've seen you with like your Superman, uh, your Superman t-shirt on. Yes. You've got a big superhero thing, right? Comic book love, guy. Yeah. yeah. Captain America. I have, <laughs> I have a big shield and everything, man. People call me Captain America. It's crazy. Cause I'm a nice guy. <laughs> that is awesome. But, and, and, and you really are in, in a lot of ways. I mean, you're a superhero, you, you know, broken the world record at Kona. Uh, you, you guys broke the world record uh, for the Race Across America too, right? Ex- explain what Race Across America amazing. is. Race Across America, it's a, you know, it's a race. It's not really a ride. You know, it goes from, it starts in... Um, so a cycling race, right? Yeah, it's a cycling race. You know, it's the longest race in the world. You know, it, the clock starts, the clock ends at the end. You know what I mean? It's not like you try to cover as fast as you can. So Right, there are no finish course. lines. No, but they, uh, have check, they have checkpoints in between, you know, where you have to check in to make sure you're on the right path. So, so okay. you have a map, you have, you have to follow a, a direct route, like a specific route the whole way. Right, that they give you, you know, and they give you like some, some uh, uh, checkpoints. Okay, you have to go at this phone here by the Walmart across from the Burger King on this road. Really? You know, so you have to go to that phone and call the people. You know, and you're biking in the middle of the town, the small little town in Kansas somewhere. It's three in the morning. That's so so hold on, like, give us the full, so you go from, from LA to New York or where do you no, go? You go from uh, Oceanside. From, so uh, San Diego. From California, right there, Carlsbad. You know what I mean? From the exact point where I, I went for the world championship skateboarding, 1980, <laughs> remember? Exactly same no spot. way. That's yes. awesome. Yeah. Uh, it starts right there in Carlsbad and uh, goes all the way to Maryland, to uh, Annapolis, Maryland. You know, they'll change the course every year a little bit, but it's uh, a little bit over 3,000 miles. Okay. And again, you have checkpoints and you have to make it to a certain point. Otherwise, by a certain time, otherwise they'll pull you. Right. You know what I mean? So to cut off. Yeah. And for you to be able to finish the Race Across America, uh, officially, you have to finish under nine days if you're part of a team. Okay, if you're part of a team uh, of four, you have to finish within nine days. If you finish in nine and a half or ten, it's not official. Okay, so we were the first team to, have, to be able to finish that in eight days. So you're the uh, first hand cycle team to, to ever be able to finish that? To be officially, to be officially uh, you know. Officially finished the race, yes. Which was, you know, amazing. That's where I met my business partner now, back then, coaching. Okay. So, so just a, so, so you did over, over 300, closer to 400 miles a day. Yeah, because it's when you finish stop. an eight day. I mean, yeah, because we have four people. We have two groups of two, two and two. So two guys on the road, Okay. And they're, let's say they're riding for 120 miles. Okay, we're going to meet you down the road at this spot. So the two guys that just finish their part, they get it. Each one has a van. You get in your van, hydrate. If depending on the time of the day, there's a mattress back there. You can you sleep. So, and then you just drive about 120 miles and stop at that point. And then once the other group gets there, it's your time to go again. Wow. So and you can work while. together. You can draft so, and everything. And- Yes, yeah, but you know, most of the time you can't. So, okay, you get on the road and you go for, for 10 miles. Because so it's a time trial. You're going as fast as you can. You're not dilly dolling because you have to make the times. Oh, so, okay. so, you're on the road, you're time trialing, you're hammering. You know what I mean? And then you get back on the car, 
So we got to Kansas, you know, and, and we had to get to this town. It's about 120 miles away and uh, by a certain time, you know what I mean? So we averaged over like 20, almost 22 miles an hour, you know, for across the country miles, for 120 miles. Okay. You know, for that section you know, to be able to, and we made the time. Once we made that time was halfway through, then we're, we're home free. Now we can take, you know, we know we could make it. Because you don't climb as well. Not much, and- yeah. But you get to West Virginia, the hills are really steep. They're short, but they're but steep. But they're steep. And those are worse, actually. They're worse, yeah. They those are a lot more out of you. It sounds brutal. Now, you are a guy who, you, 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 you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's this sense of pride, right? It's a sense of like Navy SEAL pride that in a lot yeah. of ways keeps you going. The, the hard the work ethic of I'm going to work harder. And that's, that's where you're going to take your pride. That's where you've taken your pride from, from being a little kid. You are like this superhero. But a couple of years ago, you were, you were in Vail, right? And, yes. and, and you couldn't get on the plane. You had a, you had a panic attack. Panic attack, yes. Yeah, and, and I, it, How no can that way, happen to a superhero? No idea why, all right? You know, I was on the plane and all of a sudden everything, I start feeling weird. You know, you just kind of, this doesn't feel right. You know what I mean? And then the whole thing just closed in. I had to get out of the plane, get off the plane. You know, my wife, you know, yeah, she came out. We waited and I was able to make it. All right. That was the first time that happened. Second time it happened was in Denver. I was by myself at that time. I got on the plane, tried to go in. Again, I felt weird. I had no idea why. I had the plane come back. The plane was already leaving the gate. I had the plane come back. I said, I got to get out. You know, I had no problem. I got out. You know what I mean? Uh, actually, I, and I actually made a, a video about it because I posted on Facebook that I, you know, I had a really hard time and I had a lot of people just pour in with, you know, really good support, you know, which helped me get on the plane later. You know what I mean? So I made, you know, I made a, a video about that, you know, because, you know, I was dealing with a lot of depression at the time, you know what I mean? Because like we we're talking about earlier, Chris, remember I started racing really hard never really had time to deal with everything that happened to me. You started racing right in the hospital, in the not hospital. out of the hospital, but in the hospital. In the hospital. So I never really had a chance to absorb all the stuff that had happened to me. So by the time I got to my 50s, okay, now you can't race like you used to anymore. You know what I mean? You know, your body can't perform anymore. You know, they have that well of performance. You keep going in there and pulling performance out of that well. Eventually that well is dry. You know what I mean? Right. And you feel like, okay, again, what am I going to do now? You know what I mean? Now that I had this amazing, you know, uh, athletic career, I would say, that, you know, amazing journey, I get into my 50s and I start having these things that, what, that I didn't deal with back then coming back to haunt me. You know what I mean? My paralysis, my feeling, you know, kind of helpless in a way. Yeah, your um, identity, right? In a lot yeah, of ways. Yes, you lose your identity in a way. So, Long story short, I came to find out I had this thing called um, polycystic kidney disease. Okay? okay. So I have cysts on my kidney. All right. A lot of cysts. So what happened is it kind of compressed your kidney. So the blood to go through my kidneys, kidneys needs more pressure, which elevated my, my, my blood pressure. Mm-hmm. My blood pressure went up to 230 over like uh, 130, something like that. It was, it was, I, almost had, I was doing a test and, uh, you know, a power test on my hand bike, mm-hmm. okay? Normally, I get to about 200, 
220 watts before I get to my max heart rate. Okay, I was a I was 130 watts. My heart rate was 200. You wow. know, I almost had a stroke. Came to find out it was because of the polycystic kidney. So the, you know, my body feeling weird. That's one of the reasons that caused that panic attack. And once you have one, it really plays with your mind. You know, so it becomes almost like a a ghost that keeps haunting you all the time. So even now when I travel. Because of that incident, you know, I, it still gives me a little bit of, uh, you feel a little uneasy. It's always in the back of your mind. It's always in the back of your mind. Is it going to happen again? You know what I mean? Uh, you know, I have, dude, I had therapy, you know, I take uh, medication, you know, to kind of call myself. Right. Now, the depression, I, I find this really interesting because I did the same thing that you did. I was in the mm-hmm. hospital for two months. I went back to school uh, I was back at college. I did my first race that following summer. I mean, I didn't go very fast. I did a 10K, I think, in an hour and 10 minutes. So oh. I, I beat one of the guys at the program. That was that was it. I wasn't last. But, uh, <laughs> exactly. It was not. I didn't break any records. But But the sense of identity, it was harder for me to retire from competitive sport. Right. And it was to break my back. Now, I remember you saying at one point, talking about depression and saying, yeah. that, saying, you know, like, how can you be depressed? Like, go, go do something. That was the, that was the answer was, yeah. was go do something. Do you look at that differently? Having gone through that experience? Completely different. You know, he, and here's why, because, you know, my wife, you know, she's, she has dealt with depression for many years. Mm-hmm. Right. And me being an outsider looking at her, like, you know, my mentality back then was, you know, just, do something like, just like you said, go for a run, you know, do something, do better. You know, it wasn't until I was depressed, you know, and it, to a point where you, you completely can't help it. You can't control it. You know, you actually talk to yourself, why are you feeling this way? You know what I mean? Where you, you don't see a future, you don't see anything worthwhile to be, to do. You know what I mean? So why do you feel that way? You know what I mean? It, it was weird. So, you know, Gladly, you know, because of my wife had so much uh, experience with that, you know, in a way it was easier for me to kind of find the help, you know, you know, she said, you know, this is what you should do. And what, what did that help look like? What was the thing? How, how did it, how, how were you able to get through it? I really believe in therapy, you know, especially, you know, my wife and I, you know, even our son goes to therapy, you know, has that available to him if he needs it. You know what I mean? Let's like to he, talk with a therapist and be yeah, able we have to talk one person, through. Yes. We have one person that we use, that we've been using for many years. And it was the guy that kind of helped me through my stuff, helped Sarah and I through our marriage stuff, you know, all because of that, because of depression, because of, you know, the stuff coming back to me later in the game, you know, and I'm trying to, you know, like I felt half a man now that I don't have an identity. You know what I mean? I'm not, no longer the, you know, the Ironman guy. I'm not like the super racer, you know, the super para. You know what I mean? I know all too well exactly yeah, what you mean. You know, and that's how, you know, probably how professional athletes would feel at the end of a career. Like, man, what do I do now? Because you lose that thing. It's almost like I had to rediscover myself. I had to reinvent myself. How do I find satisfaction, you know, and fulfillment from something else? You know what I mean? So that's when I, you know, I, I, again, I'm like, okay, I rationale, okay, what is it that you can do, you know, 
And what I did was what I learned from people in Vail. You know what I mean? You contribute. You know what I mean? You get to a point, you know, now is, now is your time to contribute. You know what I mean? Because you go through. To give back. To give back. You know what I mean? You, you, we all should do it. You know, and because of, you know, the, the, the experience that I had and, and the connection that I made, you know, there was so much I could contribute, you know, that, uh, you know, it was going to be really exciting to be able to do that. You know, that's when we started the racing team for, for females. I became my ambassador for the Challenge Athletes Foundation, you know, to use the experience and the knowledge that I acquired, you know, through all these years of doing sports and pass it on to the next generation, the next, you know, the next one taking the journey. What, what specifically is it that you have to give back? I think it's the ability to tell people that, that it's going to be hard. Here's the thing. You know, I'm not one of those guys that, oh, it's going to be so nice. Everything's going to be perfect. I am brutal. You know, uh, you know, I tell the reality, like, listen, this is going to be really hard. It's going to be very hard, but I know you can do it. And you know what? At the end of the day, after you do all these things, it's going to mean so much more to you and to everybody around you when they see you doing those things, you know, because they realize if that guy right there is paralyzed and he's out there doing an Ironman, he's out there running his bike, why is it I can't go and do something with my life? You know what I mean? You know the deal. You go from, from you know, from a role of, uh, you know, of an athlete to a role of a teacher, you know, okay, let me get all the stuff that I, I feel that I acquired through the year and pass it on to somebody else and have them take the same journey that I did. You know, because it was amazing. Give them the chance to have that if they want. You to know? realize that the pain is worthwhile. For it's them. worthwhile. You know, <laughs> yeah. It never gets any easier, especially with cycling. People think, oh, I'll train a little bit. It gets easier. It never gets any easier. The only easy day was yesterday. Remember? I was looking through your Facebook earlier today and you had a, you had a quote from Bob Marley uh, about what, is it, what does it mean to be real? And, and what, is it, what does it mean to be real for you now? And is that different now than it was when you were competing? I think so, yes. You know, I think when I was competing, you know, it was a lot about, it was a lot about me. You know what I mean? What can I get out of this? You know what I mean? How much can I get out of this? And now the way I see is like, how much can I give? You know, how much can I do to help people? So I'm always looking for opportunities for me to either mentor someone, you know, or take someone under my, you know, under my wing to show them the way. You know, that's why, you know, um, the Challenge Athletes Foundation, you know, made me one of their ambassadors. It's a, the most, I would say, one of the most unique organizations there is in the world, you know, because they're about the athlete, no matter how old you are, you know, the youngest one to the oldest one. From either, okay, if you're six years old, if you're eight years old, they want you to enjoy your life now through sports. What they do is they raise funds to be able to provide anyone with a disability that would like to pursue a recreational sports or a competitive sports, any kind of activity, they will provide them with the funds and resources to be able to do that. You know, so they have grant programs for people to buy equipment. They have... Uh, uh, they just started high school track and field program in California already. All the high schools are going to have access to equipment to be able to train you know, people with disabilities. So it's a, it was a small, very small organization. It started because of sports. It started because of triathlon. One guy, uh, Jim McLaren, 
uh, got hurt, got hit by a bus, lost, lost his leg, right? Became the best amputee triathlete in the world, okay? Was doing a, a triathlon in, in, uh, in California. He was hit by a van in the race course, and he broke his neck. Now he's amputee, now he's a quadriplegic on a power chair. Amazing, so this, right? yeah, yeah, so this life can change just like that, you know. So these three guys decide, okay, let's do something to help him, you know. And to make a long story, that's how the foundation started. They did a small fundraiser for him. Um, interacting with Jim, they realized that we had no support. There was no resources out there for someone with a disability to be able to get a, a racing chair or a basketball chair or a running leg if you're an amputee. Or a hand because, cycle, you're saying, costs $15,000, right? So, yes, yeah. right. Or for a kid, if a kid wants to go bike, a 10-year-old wants to go bike with their friends around the neighborhood, you can't go to Walmart and just buy a bike off the rack. You have to order a specialized bike you know, for that kid. It's going to cost up to $2,000. Right. And, and take a long time prohibit. to get it and all those things as right. well. Right, right. And most families can afford that because insurance doesn't pay. Right. You know, so in their 25 years of existence, they – you know, they change sports, you know, the ability of equipment, you know, they help the technology of sports uh, develop because they know that there were going to be suppliers out there looking at that. So it's a, it's an amazing organization, you know. It is. And one of the, one of the things that I was sort of searching for, I guess, in some ways in, in looking at you and, and just seeing how, how things might've changed from, from before till after is also like having gone through this depression, some of these things is, is your sense of vulnerability. Like as, as yes. an athlete, yeah. you know, you're strong, you can do it whatever you, you can always do it. And now being willing to share that, that, that sense of, of, no, I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm not, no. I'm, 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 I'm not impervious. You have, you know? Yeah. No, you have to, you have to be honest. You know, that's the thing. You know, if I'm going to tell someone that's in a wheelchair, you know, if I'm going to give them advice, I have to give them the real advice. I have to give them the real thing. Like, listen, you know, let's say he or she is depressed because of that. I said, I've been depressed. You know, I have that same issue. You know what I mean? You know, there's no reason for her to feel discomfort or feel bad about having depression you know what i mean so by telling them that be amazed how many people send me messages saying i'm so glad you posted that video you know what i mean because it makes me feel like okay you know even this guy here that i'm you know i idolize has bad days you know he also suffered from depression what, what did that feel like for you to to post that video were you empowered? Were you scared? Empowered. No, no. Really? You know, I feel like, you know, I am being honest with you. You know, can you be honest with yourself? You know, that's the thing. Because there's a lot of people there that have the same issues. But because of the stigma, okay, if I go and look for help, I'm weak. Especially from the military. You know what I mean? If you're, especially if you're in the, in the SEAL community. Huge problem. Because sure. if, as, soon as, you, as soon as you acknowledge that you have an issue, you know, handling things, Oh, he can't handle it. He can't do his job. You know, and that goes for everybody. You know, if you tell someone, man, I'm having problems with depression, they think, oh, the guy has some problems. You know, so there's a stigma attached to it. You know, I have no problem with that. Yes. You know, even now sometimes I feel like, man, this is not right. But I know, you know, I have developed tools, you know, and ways of handling those things. And I want people to be able to have those available to them as well. But some of it is, some of it is having that tool and, and then also being master of your own mind, 
Are you still are you still into MMA? I mean, martial MMA. arts. Martial arts and, yes. uh, and and like Hoist Gracie back in Remember the day. And oh my God, yes. What yes. was what was it that you respected so much about him? Can you describe uh, who he is again, and, and how he fought about, and everything? Talk about Hoist Gracie. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, it's the pride. I mean, talk about the pride. He's part of a family where this is their, you know, their job. They call themselves warriors. It's crazy. You know what I mean? It's, again, it's part of, you know, you have a life, and you do not want your life to be an average life. You want to do more with your life, you know? And I really um, look up to people like that, you know, that I'm not talking about being rich or being famous. I'm talking about, you know, we're all going to get to the end of the line, Chris, but, you know, before you turn that light off, the switch off, you want to be able to look back and say, I can live with that. I can live with that. It's good. You know what I mean? I want to be able to look my, back in my life and say, I'm good to go. I did it the right way. I did it the right way. Yeah, there are some regrets there. We can avoid that. But overall, it's pretty awesome. Can you describe how he fought his, his fighting mentality? Because he was a yeah, jiu-jitsu I mean, guy, right? So he's, no, he's Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And uh, right. you know, they developed the whole style themselves. And it was all about defense. You know, it's about leverage. You know what I mean? I never got into it, but they even they came to the SEAL teams to teach classes there at the times. But those little movements, not the big guy, no. not the no. not the yeah. big strike, but the but the the getting the submission as you went right. along. You know, right? it's having the having the plan, you know, having the patience to wait and do the thing at the right time. You know, and that right there goes to tell you, if you look at sizes, it doesn't matter if you know what you're doing. Well, that's, I've always, I've always put the two of you together in some ways, just in that, that you're, it's a similar, similar approach for you, the, the tactical yeah. approach of, of I'm going to wait you out and I'm going to, I'm going, you're not going to yeah, get rid I mean, of me. Have, I'm not going to quit. You have to have a plan. I mean, you have to you know, try to follow your plan, planning, adjust accordingly, you know, because things are going to happen. Never, things are never go straight. Look at us, you know, so you have to be able to adjust to your plan, you know, and, uh, like I said, all these experiences really, you know, is paying dividends now, you know, that I learned all those things. Now I can pass that on to people and then save them a lot of, sometimes even a lot of grief. Well, that's, and so you're now, you're now working in coaching. So you and Ralph are, are coaching right. together with Nexus Endurance. Right. Yes. Yeah, so we started, you know, it's a, it's a new coaching company that we started last year in the, and it's all science-based. You know I mean? And all because disabled athletes, right? Uh, my part is all disabled, yes, but you know, we're getting ready to start an unable body part of it, you know, that's going to be just for testing, something completely different. But yes, Nexus is mostly uh, para athletes, they're all wheelchair athletes or amputees, uh, and um, all with hand bikes. And um, I think we have a couple of guys that are on uh, their leg amputees that ride a, a regular bike. So it's uh, you know, I wanted to, to, to bring the technology coaching of training that the Europeans use okay as you know all all of the races now are using power meters to you know to gauge their efforts so when they do their training with their intervals and Ralph was the guy that developed that he's the one that worked with SRM specifically to be able to bring that equipment into the hand cycle you know he was able to change the parameters and do this study to make the, uh, the numbers correlate to someone with a disability so it's not like one-to-one, -one. the same numbers are used for able body, the same numbers are used for 
someone with a disability because your, our bodies don't work the same. So the reactions are going to be the same. And, and you want to make it specific for each individual as well, it, right? Exactly. Yeah. So everything that we do is based on testing. You know, we have to do physiological testing on the athlete, which means we, put, we, we, uh, we set him up on a machine on his bike, you know, and then with a certain protocol that, that we use, and we do a couple of different tests on him, some intervals. We measure blood lactate in his blood every so often. And then according to those the lactate levels, according to the increase, we can determine, you know, their, their training zones. When you go from burning sugar, you know, when you go from burning carbohydrates, burning something else, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You right. can see it on the test. Then you can do, you can separate your zones where you're training because you have different sources, you know, of fuel because you need the fuel, you know? So depending right. how much, you, how quick you need the fuel, it'll determine from where it comes from. So from where it comes from, we'll train those sections to be, you know, as efficient as possible. You know, you know the lactate build up in your in your, in your muscles. Sure, it's still sure. When you get that burning, right? Yeah, yeah. Your biking bike gets harder, harder, harder. It's still going to happen, even at a high level. But for a, someone that's in a high level uh, shape, it'll happen later. You understand? Which means higher power. So we're training. That's what we're doing. We make we're training that section, so the lactate build up happens later, not too early. Because sometimes you're so used to going out and working really hard all the time that your anaerobic system is really fit. You know what I mean? You go really fast for a short amount of time. So what happens is when you start biking, your anaerobic system takes over too early. Right. You know what I mean? So you, you stop burning fat. So you don't have any store. So you run out of energy quicker. But if you teach your body how to use fat for as long as possible, then you, you will run out you know, much later. You'll be able to, to uh, uh, have more power. And, and a lot of what you're doing is you're creating opportunities, right, for, for these athletes. Do you, do you have any athletes that, that are, that you're, for whom you're creating some, some really interesting uh, opportunities? Yes, yes. I mean, um, I mean, myself specifically, like I, I was talking about earlier, I started a, a female-only racing team. You know, and, and, and we're all coaching, all being coached by Nexus, which means, you know, we test them. You know, Ralph will send them a training plan for four weeks. You know, I mean, they upload files from their training. He can look at the files online and see if everything is going according to plan. If everything is according to plan, we'll send you another batch of, of uh, another schedule, you know, for the next section. And he can make any changes according to the results from the previous training sessions. You know what I mean? So, um, it allows them athletes to develop much quicker. You know what I mean? So we have people in our team, they're already at Paralympic level. You know what I mean? Throughout they, the world or is this in the US? The I mean, there's one girl that we're, that we're, that we're uh, coaching right now that started biking two years ago. And mm -hmm. last year was her first year serious. And now she's already, she'll make the national team next time we have, a, we have you know, nationals for sure. She's American or? She's American, yes. yes. Okay. And yeah, yeah. uh, in California. And uh, she's part of our, our team. Uh, Ryan Reed is her name. Uh, she's very, because she's very, very um, focused. Yeah. Focused. I mean, she followed the training to the T. 
You know what I mean? Uh, and that's that's and that's the difference that we did with with, with Nexus. We tried to make the, the the athletes part of a team. Okay, it's not like I'm coaching this guy, that guy, that girl. I'm coaching them individually, but they're all part of this team. And their job is to support each other as a community so they can do their best. You know what I mean? Because if they can do their best, it's going to push them to do their best. You know, it's not about individualism. It's like, okay, what can I do to help this person get better? You know, because but, Yeah. Because but part of it's also you. that community and, and breaking down those barriers. Don't you? You have one athlete, uh, this athlete in Egypt, right, who is uh, – who's breaking down some big barriers. Yes. I mean, I, I found this, uh, she found me, this young lady from, uh, from Egypt and uh, she uh, won a racing chair. So we got her a racing chair through the Challenge Athletes Foundation, you know, grant program. So I look at the, you know, at the chair and I saw this girl in Egypt, like, you know, if we send this chair all the way to Egypt, she's going to have no idea what to do with this. You know what I mean? It's going to be a waste. She's going to get this thing that's worth a lot of money. She's going to get it. She's not going to, you know, use it to its, Full, you know right. what I mean. So, so why right. don't why don't you know this full potential? Why don't we why don't we bring her here? I show her how to push the racing chair, and then she knows she learns how to do it right. When she goes back, she can pass that on to the other to the other people. So that's already I I brought her here myself. You know I paid for her ticket. I said so, and then I spent three days with her, and it was amazing. You know she she was just an amazing athlete. She has Paralympic potential. The confidence that she acquired from this trip, it just changed her life completely. You know, some young girl working as a cashier in, you know, in Cairo, you know, with polio. Now, you know, she's in, in the media over there, you know, we're trying to change her life. She's going to bring awareness there and hopefully it'll change a little bit. Well, I think for you and me, sport was a huge part of, of changing the way that we looked at ourselves, but also the way that other people looked at us. And if you can give right. that gift to somebody to bring to their community, you're doing something that is, right. that is absolutely amazing. So it's nexusendurance.com. Is that what the, what the website Nexus is? Yeah. Nexusendurance.com. And uh, lots of information there. It's a, uh, you know, it's a small company that we, like, again, we're going to change how we're going to change how coaching is done here in America. I know I want the, the athletes that are being coached, you know, to feel like, yes, you know, I'm, I'm taking seriously. I mean, I am an athlete. You know, I'm training to be way, way better. You know, looking, looking at you, I think that, that what our viewers hopefully see is that, that you're somebody who, who takes pride every single day in what you're doing and how you're approaching. And, and that's, that's what you're, I mean, not every day is perfect, right? No, dude. I mean, I, you know, sometimes I'm going to get up in the morning, Chris. And I'm like, I, I sit on the side of the bed, you know, paralyzed. Like, man, I'm going to just get up and go for a run. You know what I mean? Right. My, yeah. But then it dawns on like, dude, you can't. Then I go, okay, get in the chair and move on. I've been given this gift, which is my life. You know, and I'm not going to squander, man. You know, I'm going to squeeze that bone marrow. I mean, I want to squeeze you know, the marrow out of there as much as I can because once that switch goes off, it's done. Well, that's exactly it. I think you've, you've squeezed a ton out of it with, with Iron Man, with climbing Mount Kilimanjaro on a handstand, with your team, right? With your yes. with your SEAL team, yeah, which and is my family, yeah, and, my and your family, and exactly. Life. Which has to be amazing with with Ram, but I think also with completing the character, with coming back and being and being the guy who can be who can be honest, who can be vulnerable, who seems right. like a superhero, but then is is 
sharing it with the next generation, the way that the Jim Martinsons and some right. of those people yes. shared with you. Because, I mean, I look at him and he's, he's the greatest hero to me because he's the one that made me believe that it was all possible. Right. Yeah, that you can still get out there and have an amazing life. You know, I mean, this positivity, you know, his willingness to take his time, you know, and show me the ropes. You know, I mean, that was, you know, you, you can't buy that. <laughs> you can't buy it There's at no all. app for that. <laughs> no, but what I want to say is thank you for one, being who you are. And for two, sharing it with so many other people. So keep doing what you're doing. Nah, no. It's an Thank honor you, for you to I mean, be a friend. Yeah. Nah, I mean, you're a real model to me. I mean, I always look at you like, man, that guy's a professional. I love watching your stuff. I love following you, you know, your life. You're an amazing guy. I'm glad, you know, I'm having you a friend. <laughs> looking forward to it. Looking forward to the next time we can get out on the road together. So thank you All for right. joining our very first podcast with Chris Waddell living it. Really appreciate it, Carlos, and look forward to talking to you next time. Thanks, Thanks buddy. Chris. Bye.